0: You're fired. Former President Donald Trump became famous with those words in a make-believe boardroom on the TV show The Apprentice, but no one enjoys hearing them in real life. Being fired by your employer can create a blizzard of emotion, including embarrassment, shame, worthlessness, self-pity, and depression. The only thing worse is when God fires you. For God to say that he doesn't want to use us anymore. How does that happen? What are God's grounds for dismissal? And could that happen to us? Listen in as Vicki Hitzkis, Nathan Norman, and Kent Edwards discover the answer in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other. To not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicky Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible handy, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15 as we join their discussion.
1: Being fired is not a pleasant experience, is it? No, absolutely not.
2: It is not.
1: Uh, Nathan, Vicki, have you known people who have ever experienced this trauma?
2: It's happened to me. I was a PR director, and I was getting great results. I was working part-time for a company, and, I mean, really just doing a great job. And then a big PR company went to the CEO and said, If this gal is doing what she's doing, working part-time, imagine what we could do working for you full-time. And so she let me me go. (laughs) Wow. Well, here's what happened. They couldn't begin to do what I was doing. I had a background in television. I knew what to do. I knew how to get people on television. They put an apprentice on, and in about a year, the secretary to the CEO called me and said, would you come back and promote so-and-so's book? <laughs> I said, there's not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a chance. There's not enough money. There, there is enough money, actually, but <laughs> she wasn't going to pay it to me. But it, I felt horrible to answer <laughs> your question. I, would get, I remember getting up the next day or the mm-hmm. next Monday. At first, I felt kind of elated, but that didn't last And I remember just feeling worthless. So much of our identity comes through what we do, whether it should or not, it does. And I didn't have any place to go. And I had been heralded when I had been at that company. And then all of a sudden, gone.
3: Mm. Yeah, I know I had a boss who would use firing frequently as a control tactic, and that really? never felt well. You know, you'd get reamed out for something that was somebody else's fault or his own fault, and then you just go home and think, oh, my goodness, what what am I going to do? How am I going to pay the bills? What new job am I going to get? wasn't a good feeling.
1: Yeah. No, and when your company tells you that they will be better off without you, that can be devastating to your self-image and confidence. But imagine what it would be like, to have God tell you, you're fired hmm. for God to say, my kingdom will be better off if you're not leading it, Woo. but that's what happened to King Saul in chapter 15 of first Samuel. We read that the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul King.
2: How can God regret things? He knows what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. Well, welcome to free will. You remember that God uh, anointed Saul, gave him every opportunity to succeed, every resource he needed in order to succeed. But Saul had choices, and Saul chose to make the wrong decisions. What did he do that ended up finally getting fired? Well, let's uh, look into the text and see how this happened. We read in 1 Samuel 15, That Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people. So listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came out of Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. That's strong. And I would not be surprised if uh, our listeners as uh, us, as we read this, were shocked by the brutality of, of what God is commanding Saul to do. But it's helpful, I think, to understand the backstory. It all started when the Israelites were escaping from Egypt. The Amalekites had heard of Egypt's defeat in the Red Sea. You remember when their entire army, all their chariots and their men were drowned in the Red Sea because of God's action. And they decided to take advantage of Egypt's military weakness. And on their way to attack Egypt, they came across the Israelites who were escaping towards the promised land. They came across this strung out line of Israelite wanderers who seemed, who were laden with Egyptian loot and easy, seemingly easy pickings for the Amalekite army. So the Amalekites took advantage of Israel's weakness. A tremendous battle broke out and Israel only managed to become victorious because Moses, as you may recall, with help, held up his hands to heaven. And it was because of God's intervention that they were able to escape that merciless attack on the weakest and most vulnerable of Israel. And God was so angry at their treachery, at the Amalekites' uh, actions as they attacked, that He said in Deuteronomy chapter seventeen, verse fourteen, uh, Vicky, would you read that for us?
2: Sure. It says the Lord said to Moses, "Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek under heaven." And Moses said, "Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord." the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation.
1: Amalek knew what God had done to the Egyptians, how God had his hand on his chosen people, taking them to the land he had promised and deliberately attacked them. This was an attack, not just on the Israelites, but God saw it as an attack on he himself. So 40 years later, when Israel was about to cross over the Jordan, God reminds Israel of Amalek's treachery. Nathan, what does it say in Deuteronomy 25?
3: It says, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all your enemies, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven do not forget.
1: Ooh. So over decades God has remembered and reminded Israel that this evil of the Amalekites against God and his people has to be remembered and has to be responded to. There's no doubt God is serious about punishing the Amalekites and it falls to Saul to carry out God's judgment. <laughs> So with that background in mind, it's not surprising that, again, God is crystal clear in chapter 15 of First Samuel, starting in verse 1.
2: As Samuel said to Saul, listen now to the message of the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go. Attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and children, men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys.
1: Wow. There's no question that God is clear in what he wants Saul to do, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no ambiguity.
2: Just wipe them out.
1: Absolutely. So because of their treachery, I want total justice to be done. And and Saul knew exactly what God had ordered him to do. We agreed? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Saul sets out. Look how he prepares.
2: So Saul summoned the men, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good, he's not supposed to do this, these were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed.
1: So here we see Saul acting as a king, right? I mean, he begins to fulfill his obligation by commanding Israel to come out. And he's got a lot of people who show up, right? How many people came out to fight, Vicky?
2: 200,000.
1: <laughs> As we record this podcast, that's even larger than the Russian army that was assembled uh, on the outskirts of Ukraine, right? Right.
2: Well, even more 200,000 soldiers and then 10,000 from Judah. That's a lot of people. Yeah,
1: that's a lot. They've got a huge force. So, so far, so good. And then he attacked, right? That's what they're supposed to do. Ah, but as you read, Vicky, he didn't quite go all the way, right? Right. In fact, they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) So what did they destroy? what they didn't everything want everything
2: that was weak and halting I and mean, that they kept all the best it says of the sheep and the cattle the fat <laughs> calves and the lambs everything it says that was good
1: which is fine in normal circumstances when people are at war they are the, to the victor the spoils go except that that's not what god said
3: right and you think about how horrible of an order this was to god and how difficult it must have been, like kill everybody. Everybody, right? So if you're gonna have any objection, it's gonna be like, well, can we spare the children, right? Right. You know? But but that's not what they, they, they spare. They're like, well, wait a minute here. This is a crazy order god. There's perfectly good animals here that we could use to bolster our, our pocketbooks with.
1: Right. So why did Saul disobey such a clear order?
2: Greed, do you dis- don't you think?
3: Yeah, I, I don't know. Greed? I mean probably some uh, moral cowardice too, right? He's a, like, if he tells his men, guys, you can't take any spoils. Okay. Then why did we come to war? I mean, this is how soldiers got paid in the olden times is they would take spoils and they would get paid from the spoils they could take. And, and well, you're coming and you're going to fight and you're going to neglect your land and your family for a few months and you will not get paid anything. And so I'm sure there's some, some cowardice on his part as well. Like I can't
1: tell these guys that they can't take anything. Yeah. And he wants to uh, perhaps curry the favor of the people. Sure. It seems to me that what Saul was doing here is falls in line with what we see even with Adam and Eve. When they chose to disobey the clear command of God not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they chose to do it anyway. And do you remember what, they, what their reason was in Genesis, Vicki?
2: yeah it says um, with adam and eve it said when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and she ate it she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it
1: so why did they decide to disobey the clear commands of god well they just I rationalized I, their sin right
2: i think it's why we always do it we always think eh, it's not so bad
1: Yeah, i know that's what god said but i'll be better off if i sin right
2: just this once yeah
1: i mean (laughs) it doesn't
3: hurt anybody
1: right it's just a piece of fruit they rationalize their sin and i think i know that there is no sin so great that we are not capable of rationalizing it
3: yeah seriously
1: that you know in a sense that's why there are no guilty people in prison Every person there says they don't deserve to be there because they have rationalized why they are justified in doing what they have done. Saul rationalized his sin. Look at what he says in verse 13. It
3: says, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions the soldiers brought them from the amalekites they spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the lord your god but we totally destroyed the rest
1: so who is he blaming for not killing everyone
3: it's the soldiers oh wasn't me you know you know how difficult it is when soldiers you know
1: ah uh, yeah once they've done it, you know, and um, you know, some of the women or children they took or some of the spoils, they got good use for them. And how can I now take it away from them? Um, don't blame me. I was, I was I'm innocent. This but, is just uh, like Adam and Eve, right? When
3: him. just confronts thinking Adam. that.
2: It wasn't me. It was the woman you gave me.
3: <laughs> that you gave me. If you never did this, God. So it's kind of your fault, isn't it? <laughs>
1: um, both God and Samuel don't buy Saul's excuse. In fact, (laughs) Samuel is clear in verse 16
2: and following. What does he say, Vicki? He says, enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Although you were once small in your own eyes, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? i did Uh, obey the lord saul said yeah look
1: and look at this look at the next excuse he gives
2: (laughs) this one's even better in verse in verse 20 what does he begin to say he said i went on a mission the lord assigned me i completely destroyed the amalekites and brought back agag their king the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder the best of what was devoted to god in order to sacrifice them to the lord your god at Gilgal."
1: oh so he's still blaming the soldiers, but the motivation behind this is what?
2: Sacrifice oh, to God.
3: We know better. Don't worry.
1: Don't worry, God. You'll get your cut. <laughs> I know I'm stealing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some of it to you. I'll tithe on my, on my theft. So in essence, they're not only uh, doing what Adam did and blame Eve. Now he's uh, blaming God. And by the way, didn't Adam do that as well? It's this woman who you gave me. (laughs) And now he's saying these soldiers did it in order to serve you. You ever heard of people using this kind of excuse?
2: Yeah. It reminds me of gossip, but it's a prayer request. Oh, my word. (laughs) Ooh, ooh,
1: that hits close to home.
3: Yeah. I remember reading not too long ago, kind of the revelation of Karl Barth's affair with his longtime secretary. And the reeling that, that happened within much of Christendom as they, they heard about this. And if you read what he would write, like he, he said, wow, this, this relationship that I'm having with my secretary, it's God ordained and God blessed me with you. And like he, wow. he just totally rationalized this thing as this is a blessing from the Lord, because otherwise, you know, how, how could we love and care for each other this much? And it was ongoing. It wasn't just like a one-time affair. This was a lifetime long uh, affair that occurred. And he just rationalized
1: it. And he used God to do it. Well, Samuel is not impressed with his rationalization. And when he responds to this excuse, well, what are his words?
2: He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Ooh, isn't that the truth? To obey is better than sacrifice. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry.
1: That's clear. And that is God's assessment, regardless of our excuses, for when we decide to disobey God's clear commands. No, when we fail, To obey god's clear requirements of us we're in rebellion against him we are doubting god's goodness and we're demonstrating a complete lack of faith in him the one who gave those commands so why is obedience important for everyone but even more important for the leaders of god's people why would get saul get fired over this
2: because sin does have an effect on who we lead
1: It's not just individual sin, but as leaders, when we choose to disobey God's clear commands, we set an example. We set the tone for those that we are leading.
3: Yeah, I mean, you think about American politics, right? And say Mm -hmm. Richard Nixon, uh, his misdeeds, you think of Bill Clinton's I call it sexual abuse with Monica Lewinsky, right? Mm-hmm. Those affected an, a, a nation, right? We had to watch those trials. We had to mm-hmm. watch resignations. It, it affected the people that they led below them. Or you look at the scandals that's been happening in the evangelical church, by and large, of all of these Christian pastors who are falling, either because of adultery or because of bullying. And... And it affects those people. There are people who will never darken the doors of a church again, because these people represented God to them. Mm-hmm. And and they think, if this is what God's like, I don't want anything to do with him. Or it's all it's all a crock. It's all a scam. Mm-hmm. There is no God. They, they just want my money and my, my allegiance so that they can have power.
1: I think that's why we're going to see later on in 2 Samuel, when David sins with Bathsheba, Nathan speaking for God, Nathan the prophet says to David, By doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt for the Lord. Because you did it as my leader, you have ruined my reputation in the world. And it's why back in the early part of 1 Samuel, Eli's refusal to discipline his sons from treating the Lord's offering with contempt resulted in his death as well as his son's because they are leaders of the religious um, life of the people of Israel. When they do that, there's serious consequences, uh, more serious, because they are leaders. And that's why God said, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do what is in my heart and mind. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, Samuel said to Saul, He has rejected you as king. He
3: is fired. Can you just imagine that running through Saul's head over and over and over again with every decision he makes, everything that comes from now on. He has rejected you as king over and over while he sleeps, when he wakes up.
1: And what is so sad is that it's only after God rejected Saul as leader that he finally confessed, at least he tries to. Look at what he says in verses 24 and following.
2: He says, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. And now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel.
1: Wow. Here we see an echo of what we saw last week as we looked at Saul's ineffectiveness as uh, a leader. His pride got in the way. Truth be told, his excuses were just that. They were just lies trying to cover up his sin. The real fact is that um, he cared more about Um, what the men thought of him than what God thought of him, and he adjusted his behavior accordingly. And God says, it's too late. I cannot have a leader who does that. You're fired. Fact is, only holy people can lead God's holy people. That means that living in accordance to God's Word personally and organizationally is critical. It's just, it's critical. It's critical personally. For the reasons you shared, Nathan, when a leader chooses to sin, and we have seen evangelical leaders in America choose personally to walk into ungodliness, and when they have, it has destroyed ministry. No, personally, we have to do live a life that is God-pleasing. But it's true also organizationally, isn't it? Mm. I mean, that's what God wanted Saul to do. He wanted to lead the people to carry out God's mission, and he failed to do that. As leaders of God's people, we have no right to establish our own agenda for God's people. God's agenda has to triumph. So when he says we must love God but also love our neighbor, we have to preach that. We have to teach that. We have to exemplify that, not only personally, but call our people to do that, even when it may be unpopular. When God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, we can't say missions is optional. I'm only going to worry about my part of the kingdom. No. And when it comes to confronting sin, when God's word clearly outlines what improper behavior is, we cannot be a coward and say, because people who are influential or powerful will not like me because of that. We cannot listen to them. We cannot bend our behavior because of their opinion, as Saul did. We have to do what God says. God is not impressed by our rationalizing and blame shifting. He asks for us as leaders to follow him, to recognize he is God. And we are not. We need to remember, rebellion is like the sin of divination. And to obey
0: is better than sacrifice. If you're a leader and you want to please your followers more than God, what do you think will happen to you? Eventually, God will replace you. You'll be fired. Why? Because God wants us to be an example to our people. He wants our obedience, not our sacrifice. I trust that today's discussion of God's word has been helpful and served as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more, or to support the work of this ministry, please visit www.CrosstalkGlobal.org. You can also support this show by sharing it on social media and telling your friends. Tune in next Friday as we continue our discussion through First Samuel. Be sure to join us.